It's interesting on the sermonette that Terry brought, I didn't talk to Terry. I had no idea what he was going to speak on. I could probably hold my Bible up and say, thank you, Terry, you did a good job. You covered where, you know, you kind of hit in a nutshell where I wanted to go. But he didn't know it, what I was working on. I, I really think that God is, is guiding these things for one reason or another. I don't know why. Maybe because we're hard-headed. We're like the Israelites. You know, we're stiff-necked. We rebel. We balk at things. So God keeps bringing it back and back into us. So I ask the question, what are you looking for? What are you, what am I, what are we in the church of God, what are we looking for? What, what is it that we want? Are we looking for a place to escape? We want to escape from something, like maybe the world? We want to escape from the disasters that are going on out there? If we choose to come here at this place, out here in the middle of nowhere, and basically it's quite a ways from anything, except Colorado City, there's still ain't much. But we tried to escape from the world, like, like, how about, are we trying to escape from false doctrine? So we can come together here and, and get away from the, all this false doctrine that just seems to be coming up all around us. Worldly doctrines, church doctrines, uh, the church broke apart and now they have all these ideas that are not God ideas. Are we trying, as Terry pointed out, are we trying to escape from the pressure and the the bad teaching, the bad leadership that seemed to have come about in worldwide. Maybe that's why we came out here. We want to get away from government altogether, huh? Is that it? We want to get away from bad teaching? Maybe we came out here to get away from crime and violence. Certainly we have a, a peaceful area to live, don't we? We have brothers and sisters in Christ. We have... I'm able to look out there and I see little kids riding their bicycles up and down the roadways. And I see older people riding their bicycles. And I see people walking and jogging and uh, somebody needs some help and has, has a little difficulty and five, six, seven people just show up right away to help them out. Somebody's trying to build a house, they show up. That reminds me of a time when the nation, when people were trying to build a house, they could raise a barn in a day because all the neighbors came in. So, why are we here? What are we trying to accomplish? What do we want to do? Are we looking for peace? If we're looking for peace, then we have to work it looking for peace. We have to make peace ourselves. So, is that why you came here? Did you come here to have peace? Maybe you came here because this is a safe place to live. Like I was pointing out about our kids running up and down. My wife looked on the internet the other day, and in our zip code area, which is pretty big, I mean, area-wise, covers Fredonia and all the way up to Colorado City, so all of this area, there's two um, sexual predators listed in, living inside this uh, zip code area, which is pretty big. But... You know, it's interesting. Maybe we came out here for a place of safety. We can get away from that. Our kids don't have to worry about sexual predators. You don't have to worry about somebody breaking in your home. So maybe we're here looking for a safer place to live. 
They were here to learn how to please God. Maybe that's why you came out here. Learn how to please God and do things God's way. That's a way that we should be looking. Let's turn to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 11. Ezekiel chapter 11. They want a way to please God. Somehow to find the right direction, the right way to live. Ezekiel 11 verse 13. And it came to pass when I prophesied, and then this fellow's son died, and they fell, uh, then fell I down upon my face and cried with a loud voice and said, Ah, Lord, will you make a full end of the remnant of, the, of Israel? Well, I've seen Israel, the, the church collapsing. I used to think and was taught that we're all going to go to a place of safety. Then the church fell apart. And I think like, and at times thought just like uh, Ezekiel did here. Is the remnant going to disappear? Will God totally take away, make an end of even this little remnant? I see difficulties come up. I see people come in, disagree, and leave. And I think, is, is the remnant going to disappear? I mean, what are we doing? You know, that's a part of that discouragement. And whether you ever get that way, I do. But then I have the scriptures to encourage me again. And again the word came unto me, saying, Son of man, your brethren, even your brothers, the men of your kindred and all the house of Israel, holy are they to, unto whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Get you far from the Lord, unto us, unto us is the land given as a possession. So don't worry about God. You know, look at this land, it's our possession. Come away. How often does that been say? Why, why are you here? What are you looking for? You know, what, what's, the, what's the deal? Don't worry about it. Therefore, thus, therefore say, thus says the Lord God Almighty, I have cast them off from among the heathen, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them a little sanctuary in their countries where they shall come. So God says, I scattered the church, but I'm going to be a sanctuary. Can we think of that, this little community right here, as a, as a little sanctuary? A little place where God is helping and working with his people. Now, we're not the only group of people. I think it's crazy to think that you're the only ones out there. You know, Terry brought out about the thing to, to the church, uh, of, as a message to the churches. To the Laodicean church, he says, if you think that you're the only ones, you're the only people, you're a Laodicean. He said, you don't understand, you are naked. If you think you're the only group of people out there, you, you're you're really naked. You don't understand those things. And he says, go out there and buy gold. You know, go out there and get tried in the fire, tribulation, trials, that you can put on clothes, that you can buy clothes to dress up, spiritual clothes. 
and buy ISAV because you have a bunch of cataracts. If you think you're the only group, you have a pretty big cataract because you can't see past your fingers and your, when you hold them up close to your nose. So he said, buy some ISAV and get rid of that. Get rid of the cataracts and see what I'm doing. Well, he's telling us, this is a little sanctuary, a little place that God's going to work with, but what's not the only place? Because he said, all of them is going to be a sanctuary for his people. Therefore say, thus says the God, I uh, will even gather the people from uh, the people and assemble you out of the countries where I have scattered you, and I will give you the land of Israel. So there is coming a time, no doubt, that God is going to bring the people together. He's made a promise. He will bring them together. But it's your attitude, your frame of mind that's going to count. So it says, he's going to bring them together. And they shall come hither, and they shall take away all the uh, detestable things thereof, and all the abominations thereof from hence. What are we doing? What have we been hearing from time and time? In all the sermons and sermonettes, God is saying, get rid of the detestable things. Get rid of the things that, uh, that make God sick, that make God want to vomit you out. Get rid of the things that turn your head contrary from God. He's telling us. That's why he's bringing us here, to learn how to get rid of those things that are contrary to his way of life. And I will give them one heart. So when we start getting rid of those things, whether it be adultery or adultery or lying or stealing or whatever it can be, you know, lust, greed, whatever it is, once we can get rid of that, God says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I will give them one heart. I mean, we'll all have the same heart. You like they're in Acts where they were all together with one frame of mind. That's what God's going to do. He said, I'll do that. And I will, if, you know, but there was that if, you know, that little tiny word. If you get rid of those things that take you contrary to God. You know, we heard and know that when Israel left Egypt, first time they got up to the Red Sea, they were already complaining. They get across the Red Sea, see the destruction, they start complaining. No water, no food, uh, bad leadership. You know, it's always the same thing. It's complaining because you don't get your way. But God says you get rid of those things. Get rid of that stiff neck. Get rid of the idols. Get rid of the abominations that are in your life as an individual. And he's going to give us a one heart. One heart that pulls us together that we think and act and live like God wants us to live. So he's going to give us one heart. And I'll put a new spirit within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and will give them a heart of flesh, a heart of love, a heart that wants to help and give and share. God promised to do that for us. But as for, uh, let's see, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. See what God's offering to us? He wants us to be his children. He's going to give us a heart if we 
get down and say, what am I doing wrong? So I anoint somebody and I say, what am I doing wrong? Or do I look at it when I anoint somebody and they don't get healed, I say, what are they doing wrong? Of course, James doesn't say that, does it? He says, the prayer of faith will save the sick. So that's my prayer and theirs. So I can't look down on somebody else because they didn't get instantaneously healed. Gordon can't do that either. He does his part. He believes it. I went down and I anointed Daryl and I said, Father, you made a promise. If I come to you, or Christ made that promise, if I come to the Father and say, I'm coming here, you promised to heal, you do these things, Christ said, if I do that and come to you in his name, you will give it to us. So, and I believe that. But it doesn't always happen, does it? So what's the problem? In, in Romans, we're told it's not God that's the problem. Because things don't happen, we can't look out there and say, is God unfaithful? No. God's not unfaithful. He's faithful. The problem runs with somewhere inside me, inside of a human being. Because we're temporaries, you know. You know I say we're temporaries because we're not permanents. You're permanent when you become a spirit being and born in the family of God. Right now, you're temporary. And as long as you're temporary, you'll make mistakes. So the problem lies with us as a people. Someplace down the line. So we've got to begin to search our own life. We want one heart, don't we? We want to encourage each other. We want each other to be our family. We want to help and grow. But then we look out there and say, you don't do things my way. <laughs> So consequently, I've got a problem with you. Because you don't do it my way. That's not my way that counts. It's do we do it God's way. Philippians 2. What do we have to do? Philippians start us in the right direction. To figure out what... I have to do what you have to do. It's not a what the church has to do, and yet it is. It's a collective group, but it's also an individual deal. It's something that you and I must do. Philippians chapter 2, verse uh, 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much, uh, but now much more, in my absence, he says, work your brother's salvation now. No, he don't say that, does it? He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So if we want to have that fleshly heart, a heart that's after God's way of life, we have to work on our, number one, on ourselves. We have to look at us. And I know I probably say is almost every time we have to look in the mirror and see that person that's in the mirror and say, hey, buddy, what are you doing wrong? What's with it that people maybe are not healed? What's with it that the church is not growing like you think it is? Maybe it's because you don't look at what God wants. It's not God's problem, is it? It's working out my own salvation which means I've got to put my nose in this book. 
I've got to pray and study. I've got to find out what is the difficulty. So he says, work out your own salvation. Second Thess- or First Thessalonians 5.21 says, prove all things. That means you're working out your salvation. If you're having to prove everything that comes along, you're working on your salvation. You're working on what mistakes I make, what I must change in my life. Go to Romans chapter 13. We've got to work on ourselves. We work on number one. That's the important part. Work on number one. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. 13.11. And that knowing that the time that now is high time to wake up out of sleep. We're told to wake up. Look at the government of this world. Look at what's happening in this country. Look at the gas prices rising. You know, for several days now, the, the, the price of a barrel of crude oil went up a dollar every day. That means it's going to cost you more at the pump. So he says here that it's high time, you know, knowing that it's, it's high time to wake up out of sleep. The church has been asleep. The church is laying the sin. And we're just as bad as they are. There's not a one of us sitting here or on the phone line that can say, I was never a Laodicean. Because if you say that, you're a Laodicean. <laughs> Automatically, you put yourself in that category. So you have to start working on yourself, working out your own salvation. It's high time. It's the wake up out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. I first began to believe this in 1962, December, uh, October or November, I guess it was, in 1962. And it's by far, 40-some years later, a whole lot closer to the time when Christ is going to return than it was then. We thought it was 60, uh, in 1972, but 72 came. Charles Dorothy said, I don't think it was 72, more like 82 or 85. Well, 82 has passed. 85 passed. It's now 20-some years later. And still Christ hasn't come. So, is it right that he could say that it's nearer than when we first believed? When you first began to believe? Let us, let's see, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Again, isn't that what we read back in Ezekiel? Start looking at the problem getting rid of those things that pull you down, those things that are distracting you from doing it God's way. Ezekiel said, get out there and get rid of all those abominations. So here we're said the same thing, cast off the works of darkness. Anything that is contrary to God is works of darkness. And as long as you live in darkness, you'll never have a part in the kingdom of God. And let us put on the armor of light. That means we've got to put on this word. And the word was Christ. So we've got to put on Christ. And we've had those sermons. Sermons and, and series of sermons and sermonettes and all pointing us the same way. To put on the right type of garments. Like Christ said to the Laodicean, 
Go out there and buy the right clothing because you don't have clothing on. You're naked. So he said, go out there and get the right clothing and let us walk honestly as in the day and not in rioting and drunkenness, not in clamoring and wanton, not in strife and envy, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Same thing that we hear time and time and, and it just comes over and over again. Put on Christ. Whole series told us that we need to look like Christ. We're told we have to walk like Christ. We'll put on Christ. Let Christ dwell in us and get rid of Babylon. Get rid of the pulls of the flesh, the lust of the flesh. Because we just want, we have this, being humans, we're like the grave. We want, and there's no filling up. There's no filling up of graves, are there? There's no filling up of the wants of human beings. We always got to have more. We just can't seem to fill up enough. And here he's telling us to put all that off and don't make provisions in your life. So you're told to wake up. You know, Isaiah 51, 2 and 3 tells you to wake up, wake up, wake up. So many times, you know, Daryl got up here and he slammed the podium and tell you to wake up. And we were all just maybe writing or busy or off someplace, and he slammed the podium and tell you to wake up, and you're all up here, and everybody just jumps. But that's basically what God is saying to us. He sends us the word, wake up. See that you have to put out Babylon or put out those things that are contrary to God's way of life. Proverbs 3, or 13, rather. We're told to wake up. We're told to, if we're asleep, you're not going to see what's going to happen. You're not going to grasp the problems that's sitting around us. If we're asleep, we're not seeing where the government's taking us. We're not seeing how our money is real shaky. There was something on the news the other day that, um, I forgot who told me, but they had watched the news and said that China said they weren't going to buy any more of our bonds. Well, you know, they're kind of floating our money. You know, they're keeping us afloat. If they quit buying our bonds and we have no money, we can't buy their junk or their things that they make. And sometimes it's getting better than what we produce ourselves. But, but if we're asleep, we won't see the condition that the country's in. We won't see the condition of the church. And that's the big problem. Yes, we know the world's going to go down. But do we see the condition of the church? Do we see the condition in my life? And that's what it gets down to again. Do I see, and you have to ask yourself, do you see the condition of your life? Are you awake enough to see the condition in your life? Here in Proverbs 13, verse 4 says, The soul of the sluggard desires. So that's the sleepy person, the guy doesn't have much ambition. He wants a lot of things. I want this. But he doesn't have any get up and go. Most of the time he'd get up and go and got up and left and he sits there. He wants and he wants. 
But that's as far as it goes. So he says, the soul of the sluggard desires and has nothing, but the soul of the of the delight shall be made fat. So if you delight in what God is doing, you are going to be fat with spiritual things. So if in the church, in your own personal life, if you're not taking great pains to see where you stand in relationship to Christ, then he's calling you a sluggard. And you're going to desire to be a part of the bride of Christ. You're going to desire to be in the kingdom of God, but you won't make it. Or you're going to desire to be in a place of safety, and if you're not putting forth the effort, we know that 90% of the church will have to go through tribulation. And if you're sluggard on your spiritual growth, guaranteed, you will go through the tribulation. God is wanting you to be in the kingdom. And the only way he can get you there is to maybe force it upon you by throwing you in the tribulation. Hopefully you'll wake up then. But we have an opportunity right now to wake up. We don't have to be. If we delight in what God is doing, then we're going to be filled. We're going to have the things that we should have. So don't find yourself asleep at the switch. Asleep because the time is running short. None of us know what length of time we have left in our life. You can waste it and not make it. might have to come up in the second resurrection, wouldn't you? Have to come up way down the line, you know. The first resurrection is going to be the bride of Christ. During the millennium will be the first children of that family, of the husband and wife. And then, when that great period of time, when the billions of people are raised, there'll be children later on down the line. If we wake up today, we have an opportunity to be the bride. We have an opportunity to be the mother of the children that come along. But if we sleep at the switch, where are we going to wind up? So we're told to wake up, not be a sluggard. John chapter 6. There's so much for us today, so much offered to us, if we would just put our nose to the grindstone. We don't have time to waste. We don't have time to lollygag around. We have time only to change our lives and try to be like Christ. Chapter 6, verse 25. And when they found him on the other side, so here, Christ had gone to the other side of the lake. The people went around to find him over there. So when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when came you here? Well, when did you get here? You know, they had an alternative motive, you know. And Christ is going to point that out to them. They had an alternative motive. They were not basically looking for Christ for the spiritual food. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles. So, see, he understood they had an alternative motive behind what they were doing. They weren't looking for Christ because he was the Son of God, that he could do these miracles, that he was teaching them about 
something coming in the future, a better way of life. Now, he said, you didn't come because of the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. He understood. They only were there for the physical side. Why are we here? Why are we on this piece of property? Why are we in this little group? Why are we in the church of God, wherever we might be? For the physical? Are we only here because we want to save our hides from going into tribulation? Or is it because we see where God is going? We see the miracles that God is performing. We see what's being done. So Christ said, you're not here because of all those things. You just want to be fed. You want to be lazy. You want, it, you want the, the physical things. Christ goes on, verse 27. Labor not for meat which perishes, but for the meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, unto him, uh, unto you, for him has God the Father sealed. So here, God, he says, only look for spiritual food. Look for ways that your life will reflect Christ to other people. That's where he's trying to tell us to go. But it's easy to want the physical aspects. Security, friendship, uh, away from the world so you don't have to worry about Christmas and Easter and having to justify your actions, not have to worry about why don't you go to church on Sunday and why do you go on Sabbath? So we're, are we only here for that physical security of not having to put up with all that? Are we here to learn to love God and to look like Christ? That's what he's pointing out. So why are you here? What's the purpose? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he, the Father, has sent. So we should be here to believe on God, to believe on Christ, and on whom Christ sent. Our Father sent, which is Jesus Christ. And that's his word. So we have to go back and ask the same question again and again, why did I come out here? What's my motivation? What's my purpose? Matthew 11. Are we only here for the physical? Or is there something more to our life that's more important? Matthew 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Christ said... Come to me. Prayer, Bible study. Everything that you do throughout your life has to be governed around Christ. We have to seek Christ first. That's the important part. Seeking Christ first. You know, Matthew 6.33, I think it is. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then these physical things that you need, you know, security, the the fellowship and the, all these other little things, they'll come along. But he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to God and he'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, do the things I tell you to. 
Make the changes in your personal life. So do the things I tell you. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, which means you have to get your nose in the Bible. One of the basic things I can remember about Mr. Armstrong was he said, don't believe me. Don't believe people. Believe the Bible. He said, blow the dust off your Bible. The only way you're going to know what God says is you've got to get your nose into it. And most of the time when he was saying that, people had Bibles. He might have had two or three. But they were on the bookshelf collecting dust. So he said, blow the dust off, open it up, get your nose in there, and see if it's what God says. Don't believe a human. And it comes down to today. Don't believe what I say or Daryl says or Gordon says or Terry or Bill or on sermonettes. Look in here. That's one of the things. You take these sermons, you take the sermonettes, you go back and you go over them. Is this exactly what God says? When I heard the minor prophets and some of those things, I couldn't believe that. I went back and it was there. I read those things before. Why didn't I understand it before? Because I probably didn't read it. You know, I read it, but I didn't assume it. I just took what somebody else said and said, yeah, that's okay, that sounds good. But Mr. Armstrong constantly said, read the Bible. Find out what it says. Don't believe me. But it was too easy to believe a preacher who stood up there in front of you and Throughout the years, we had many preachers in Houston and Fort Myers and uh, Miami and Tampa and St. Pete, you know, all over. And a lot of times, we just believed what they said. Today, the church does the same thing. God has revealed things to us, not that we're greater than anybody else, but he wants to build a core that he can work with. And a lot of the church doesn't believe what God says about the Passover, what God says about the calendar, what God says about the minor prophets, what God says in Isaiah and Ezekiel and, you know, and Jeremiah and, and throughout the Bible. We want to believe what the preacher says, because he says, I'll tell you the right way. And so, we preach and had preached. Now, I can remember being preached at in, in the worldwide saying, if you just stay with us, then you're all going to go to the Petra and be in a place of safety. All you have to do is stay right here. Don't leave. And so we became fearful of walking away. Maybe we didn't agree sometimes, but we were fearful to leave because we were so instilled on us that if you're not here, you're going to go in tribulation. And it's strange that 90% of the church is going to go in tribulation because they stayed there. They didn't prove it didn't change their way of life. He goes on and says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he's not throwing on things that we can't handle, really. It's not that it's that difficult. We make it difficult because we have our own traditions, we have our own preconceived ideas, and it makes it difficult. But Christ said, it's not difficult. It's really an easy way to go. But you have to do it. You have to wake up. You have to prove it. It is an individual deal that God wants. An individual deal. 
Galatians chapter 6. It's our responsibility to make the changes. It has to be on a one-to-one basis. Us and Christ. Isn't it? Me and Christ. Too many times we say, me and you, Christ, we're buds, but we don't do what he says. We want to think we're relationship is so tight with Christ that we can do anything we want and we'll be forgiven because we're buds, you know. We're just so tight together. And yet Christ doesn't always say that about us, does he? Are we doing, are we awake, are we changing, are we searching our own lives to see where we as an individual stand? And I think that's an important area of our life to work on. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if any man be overtaken by a fault, and you which are spiritual restore such a one, in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So if you see a brother, it's not wrong. Fact is what God wants you to do. You see a brother or sister, and, and you know, how would you know that they're doing something wrong? If you're not looking into the scriptures, which is the mirror that tells you how to live your life, if you see somebody that doesn't live this way of life, and you go to them and say, hey, you're, you slipped up. said, also, take care of yourself. Take mind that, you know, you are not beyond making the same mistakes. You also can fall short. And the only way that's not going to happen is that you're going to have to get your nose here and find out exactly what God wants you. You know, you can say you're real tight with Christ, but when we do all the things that are contrary to Christ, then are we really tight with Christ? We're temporary. We can fall short. Bear you one another's burdens. Sometimes that's difficult. We get afraid to say, hey, you've got a difficulty, because we don't want to hurt their feelings. And so they keep going the wrong direction. But in the spirit of meekness and love... And say, you know, I really see you going contrary to what the Scripture says. I love you. I want to be with you in the kingdom of God. And you don't go out there and blast this all over the community and say, oh, look at Nelson. Look what he did last night. You know, that's not what you to do. You go to your brother privately. You know, isn't that what it says in Matthew 18? You go to your brother privately, and you discuss the problem, you help him out. It says, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You help each other out. For if a man think himself to be something, so again, it's saying the same thing. You have to search your own life. If you think you're something... I'm great. You know, I'm out here in cane bed with this little group of people, and we are the greatest. You're thinking yourself as something. When he is nothing, he deceives himself. He said, you're deceiving yourself. 
you can fall away. You can make mistakes. And when you do, you're out of here, buddy. Because Christ is going to kick you out. If you think you're great and you look down on other people, God's not going to put up with that. But let every man prove. Again, it's every individual prove his own work. Your spiritual work. Christ said, my work is light. My burden is light. Prove it. Prove that you're walking and carrying that burden like Christ did. But let every man prove his own works. And then shall he have uh, rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. In other words, you're going to look at yourself and say, I really have been able to grasp what God's doing. And God is using me to some great purpose to glorify him. So you are then being able to say, I have submitted to Christ. I am carrying that cross as Christ told me. And we won't praise somebody else or put other people down either way. For every man shall bear his own burden. When you have to approach Christ in your prayers every day, and the church is being judged today in the world tomorrow, in the white throne judgment time, each person will be judged on their things. You and I are being judged today on the way we live our life. It's between me and Christ. It's between you and Christ. It's not between me and you. It's not between me and the church. It's between us and Christ. And so we have to get out there and say, am I bearing my own burden? Am I the guilty party? Like I said, why isn't somebody healed? What am I doing wrong? It's not that God's doing something wrong. What am I doing wrong? Oh, you don't want to admit I make mistakes. Nobody wants to say that. Nobody wants to say, man, I did a lot of things that I don't even, I'm ashamed to admit. But God knows ahead of time. Let him that is taught in the word communicate with him that teaches in all good things. And so, here again, there's a time that says, you're learning God's way of life, taking time and sharing that with each other. Look, look what I understand. Or, look what God has done in, in my life. Can it help you? Communicate unto them, uh, him that teaches. And so, you go to the teachers and say, man, that was great. I see I made a mistake. Thank you for showing me that. And I, and I hear that. There's several people that come up and say, that was great. I learned something. I, I didn't think of it that way. And you know what? That's not that I'm great or Daryl or Gordon or Terry or Bill, you know, because we do the speaking. No, it's because God is working in you to see that you've made some changes or that you need to make a change. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For, whoso, for whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. It's not what I sow and you're going to reap. It's what you sow, you'll reap. If you go out here and plant a garden, well, many of us are doing, many of us are doing that. If you plant tomato seeds, you don't expect to grow apples or cucumbers 
You expect tomatoes to come up. The same holds true in your life. If you sow lust and greed and, and hate and anger, that's what you're going to, you're going to reap the same thing. But if you sow love and respect and honor and humility, then God's going to give that back to you. He will give you what you sow. So that's important. It's upon you, it's upon me. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. If all you are so tied to this world, you know what you're going to reap? The same thing the world reaps. No way around it. If you're so tied to the physical side of life, that's what you're going to reap. And that is because you are are only here on a temporary basis, you will no longer exist because you will reap the temporary things. God said he's going to wipe out this earth. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to change it all around. Well, if you want to be a part of that, then you're going to sow what you reap. But he that sows to the Spirit shall reap, uh, shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. Isn't that what we want? So we have to spend our time. It is an individual uh, tactic that you have to do. You have to start sowing seeds for eternal life on an individual basis. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So somebody doesn't get healed. So somebody doesn't uh, find the answers and we're out there, we're helping and we're trying to do our part. So don't give up. Don't give up. Too many of us saw too many people give up. Things didn't go the way we thought they ought to go. When Christ didn't return in 72, I remember a lot of people gave up. Didn't come in 82, people gave up. Mr. Armstrong died, people gave up. They gave up salvation. They gave up an opportunity to be part of the bride of Christ. Didn't see it. Didn't grasp it because they were not making the changes. They didn't follow what Christ said, my burden's not that heavy. I'll help you. I'll be there to give you help and strength. But too many people fell down, didn't they? They gave up on things that they shouldn't have. One thing that can help us not give up one thing that can help us to make changes in our life. Something that really helps you to make changes in your life. Because it's easy to sit out there and be a man on an island by yourself and think I'm the only one left. But there are ways when we're not on an island, we are gathered together, we have an opportunity that we can help each other make the goal that God has set in front of us. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron. So in other words, he's saying, how can we continue? How can we make out something better? By communicating one with another. You know, you like we read a little bit earlier, you see a brother make a fault. You go to him. You sharpen him up because maybe he... Did he catch it right? Maybe he slipped a little bit. But you come and you communicate, you strengthen them. 
But you can only do that if you're strong enough yourself. So, in Proverbs 27:17 says, Iron sharpens iron. You help each other. You put the time together to help somebody else. Hebrews chapter 10. We've probably all heard this time and time again. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 to 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. In 24. Consider each other. Consider that we're human. Consider that we make mistakes. Consider we need help sometimes. Consider one another. Sharpen the other person up. Provoke unto love and good works. So if you're sharpening them, you're helping them to produce good works. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as a matter of some is. Sometimes people just say, I don't have to come. Why come? How can you sharpen a brother or sister? How can you provoke them to have love and to good works if you become an island by yourself, separating yourself from the body of Christ? So Paul said, not to forsake yourself, the assembling together. Any time you have an opportunity, he says, come together. How can you sharpen me up? How can you help me see my faults if we don't communicate together? Or if you sit off at a distance and say, I see you can do something wrong, and you make yourself an island, I can do it on my own. I don't need Christ. I don't need the body of Christ. I don't need ministry. And so much of the church has fallen in that category today. Over four or five hundred little groups, one or two, five or ten to a thousand. But if we separate ourselves, then we're denying what Paul said, not to forsake the assembly of yourselves together as a manner some be, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And we read earlier, we were a whole lot closer. I'm 43 years closer to the return of Christ right now than I was in 1962. And as I see that day approaching and I see the world falling apart, do I not need you to help me to make my changes? To say, hey, you're doing these things wrong. But I love you enough to show you you know, maybe you made a bad mistake. Or maybe you made just a little minor mistake, and you just need to sharpen that up, you know. I go out here and put up electric for people, and sometimes I take my knife out there and try to cut that insulation off. If my knife is dull, it is a very hard time. So I have to sharpen my knife. Same holds true with us. If we're trying to be like Christ, we need each other. We need each other. We need to be sharpened. We need to show where we're growing. That's something important in our life. So, he tells us not to forsake our assembly together. It's easy to sit at home. It's easy 
to maybe come together once a month or a year. You know, I can remember back in the world churches do that. They meet on Christmas and Easter. We can't be that way. We have to be together. We have to work and help each other. Because time is running out. We've got to wake up from what's happening in this world. We've got to wake up from our spiritual lethargic attitude. What Christ said, isn't that exactly what he says to the Laodiceans? Buy eye salve, get rid of the cataracts, buy clothing so that you're not spiritually naked. Because that's where we are. We've got to come together and help each other, spending the time. And when we do that, as Malachi 3.16 says, when we come together, when we spend time together, when we sharpen each other, in Malachi 3.16 says, a book of remembrance is being written of those that spend the time together, that talk of Christ, that spend together, become a close-knit family. A time that way. But he wants us to do that. He will keep a book of remembrance of us as we talk and communicate together. We've got to do that. It has to be. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. The whole book is really important. But here in Hebrews 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are encompassed about by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You have to take and find out where you stand with Christ. We can go back to the book of Hebrews and verse 11 and read the faith of those people that lived there. What they had in their minds. What they did. So we have a cloud of witnesses. Yes, it's here. Do we believe the Scriptures? Do we believe what God says? So there's a great cloud. A great vast number of people that followed Christ. And lay aside then, again, coming back to the same point, you have to check yourself out. You have to say, where do I stand with Christ? How am I doing in relationship with Christ and with the Father? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We've got to begin to look to Christ. Again, it tells us the same thing. It's been bringing out all along. You have to find out what's in this book. You have to see the way Christ lived his life. It has to be a one-on-one relationship with God and with Christ. Looking to Christ, who is the author of salvation, and he's the finisher of our faith, who... For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Didn't have to do that, did he? Or did he? He wants a family. The Father wants a family. He gave up 
the God that created this planet, that created the universe, that created us as people, gave up that, didn't he? So that he could have a family. He despised the shame, you know, and being nailed on that stake, he was bare naked. It wasn't some loincloth on the man. They completely made him naked. And he buried the shame of that cross. And now he sits next to the Father, helping you, looking for ways to help you. But you have to want that help. For consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your well in your minds. Now, we can look out there and say people give us a fit. People look down on us. They accuse us. They, they make us fall short of a mark all the time. But Christ said, don't worry about that. I did it too. I set the example. Consider him, Christ, who accepted your sins. You have not yet resisted, he said, unto blood, striving against sin. Can you honestly say in your life, I have really resisted that, that I don't sin anymore? Or, if the pressure gets too strong, do we want to give up? Do we want to say, ah, maybe just a little bit? No, we haven't resisted to the point that we're giving our life we didn't and are not resisting yet as much as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were cast into a fiery furnace. They didn't have to. They could say, oh, yeah, man, we're, we're with you. We'll worship your whatever. But no, they said, we're not going to do that. And if we die, we die. If we live, we live. But whether we live or die, we are not going to go your way. I mean, have we said that? Has something come up to us and said, I'm not going to change. I'm going to stay with God's Word. Even if it means I'm going to be shot or hung or stabbed or thrown in a fiery furnace or fed to the lions. Have we resisted that way? We haven't done it that way yet. Not a one of us has had to resist to the point of blood. It would be pretty difficult if you as a parent would think about it. Could you stand? If you're not changing now and coming to that point, being put in the tribulation, having one of your children up there and they're saying, either you worship the beast and the false prophet or we're going to kill your children right in front of you. How would you stand? little babies or grown adults. Could you stand there and say, hey, I'm not going to change. Go ahead and pull on the pieces. Uh, they had a little piece on the, on the History Channel about how they abused um, some of the soldiers in Vietnam. They put chains around their necks, around their thighs, and then they took you know, they had a chain there, and they took a stick and just kept turning it until they crunched the bones in their shoulders and in their backs. That's 
Could you stand to see that? Could you openly stand up there and say, ah, go ahead, do that to my kids, or my husband, or my wife? Could we do that? But that's going to happen. We had a whole book about Fox's Book of Martyrs. I don't think I read it on a little bit because it was too gory for me. But those things happen. Are we ready to resist to that point? Can we? Well, we're not going to be able to if we don't know what's here. And if we don't have the stuff that's listed in Hebrews 11, if we don't have that kind of person, of uh, persistence, of love, of faith that these individuals have. Will you be able to do that? Could you resist that much? That'd be pretty tough. Pretty hard to do that, I think. I don't know whether I could even do that. I wouldn't want to be that way. So if I don't want to be that way, then what do I have to do? I've got to take and look into my life and find out whether I'm walking the walk and talking the talk and following in the footsteps of Christ, who I believe in in everything that I do. Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, verse 24. Christ is telling us to strive to enter in at the straight gate. Really put out a lot of effort. Because it's easy to go Satan's way. Christ said in another place, broad is the way to death or destruction or the way of the world. It's broad and easy path to go on. But straight is the path that leads to eternal life. Straight. It's a narrow path. And Christ tells us here in 24 to strive to enter in. Really put forth effort to go in to the kingdom of God. Strive to enter at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Many will want to be a part of that. Many want to be in a place of safety. Many want to be a part of the bride of Christ. But are they working to achieve that? And again, it's down to the same point. It has to be an individual lesson. It has to be something individually. So us being here, us finding out the truth, is not the end result, is it? It's working at it. It's striving. It's only a step in that direction. There's a lot more that we have to do. We've got to be ready to make the changes. You've got to be ready to give up. There's a lot of steps in the way to get into that straight gate. The end is going to come. We need to be just like those people back here in Hebrews 11 again. We need to be like these individuals. So by faith is... The substance of things hoped for. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. And the evidence of things not seen. We've got to have faith, don't we? Not that we can see these things, at least physically, but we have to see them spiritually. 
You have to have spiritual vision. By faith, the elders obtained a good report. Because they believed. They had, all through here, you'll read that these people had something in their mind to keep them going in that direction, wasn't it? That was faith, but faith in what? Faith in God. Faith that he promised to, as Terry brought out, to be our healer, to be our provider, to be our protector, to be our shield, to be there and help us. Christ himself said, I will dwell in you. He said, I will never leave you. I will come and dwell in you. The Father will dwell in you. Christ said, I will never leave you. Do you believe that? So you get in a difficult strait. Do you believe Christ said, I will never leave you? I will be there to help you. You just have to ask. You have to ask. And that's what he says to the Laodiceans again. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open up, I'll help you. I'll come in and be with you and teach you and help you and guide you. But if he knocks on the door and you say, who's there? It's like Rhoda did. And Peter was outside the door. Who's that? It's Peter. Oh, Peter? Yeah. So she ran back inside. He's sitting there beating on the door, letting me in. That's what the Laodiceans do. Christ knocks on the door. We don't need you right now. We've got what we need. Because we can't see. We're blind. We've got cataracts. What we need is spiritual vision. That's what the people here in Hebrews 11 talks about. The spiritual vision. How good is your vision? How, how good is your vision? I'm not talking about physically looking out here and seeing things. How about your spiritual vision? How good is spiritual vision? That's what God wants to know. In Proverbs 29:18, I believe it says, "Without vision, the people perish." In other words, if you can't see where you're going, you're going to fall in a pit. You know what he said? The blind leave the blind and they both fall in the pit? If you don't have vision to see where you're going, and you only get vision is you got to start eating what's in this book. You got to listen to what God says. And he gives you vision. I was in Goose Bay, walking through the tunnels in the middle of the wintertime. It's cold out there. They had tunnels so they can get between the mess hall and different places. And I was probably about two or three hundred yards in the middle of this tunnel and the lights went out. You have no vision then. You can't even see which way the wall is. And you might turn and run slap into the wall because you can't see. Well, that's what's going to happen to us. If we don't have the right vision, we're going to fall. We're going to be leading blind leaders. And that's why I said it's up to you to prove what I say or anybody says. That's why Mr. Armstrong says, don't follow me. Follow Christ. That's the only place that you're going to get spiritual vision from. So without vision, the people perish. Why do we think that Abraham could do the things that Abraham did? God called him 
the father of the faithful, called him my friend. We want to be Christ's friend, don't we? Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 10 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which should, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and went out, not knowing where he went. We've been called. We've been asked to come out of this world. And maybe we don't know exactly what's going to happen day by day. But if we have the right vision, we know where we're going. He And Abraham went out not knowing where he went. He didn't know where he was headed. We don't really know exactly what it's going to be like to be a spirit being, do we? We don't really comprehend fully what it's going to be like to be the bride of Christ. We know that the husband and wife relationship has to be a a, a work-related couple that work together. They share their lives. They, they accomplish things together. They move forward if they work together. If you're fighting, bickering and fighting all the time, you're not going to go forward very far. Do you really understand completely what it's going to be like to be the bride of Christ? What it's going to be like to have millions of people, and finally in the white throne judgment period, billions of people to be taught and shown? Do you really comprehend what that's going to be like? You know, Ezekiel show talks about the dry bones and millions of people being resurrected all at one time. Can you comprehend what that's like? No. You can have a vision and, and, and kind of see it darkly. So we're going in a direction like Abraham. We're called to go and do things. But we have to do our part. By faith he sojourned in a, in a land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked, here's Abraham's vision. Here's a vision that you need to have, that I need to have, that the church needs to have. For he looked for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Are we looking for that city to be brought together? That's what's in front of us. We have to have vision, brethren. We have to have that kind of a vision than anything else. All these physical things are just temporary anyway. They're just a stepping stone to get to that point to be able to grasp that vision and to be a part of it. What did Abraham see? Can you imagine that vision? You know, Terry brought out about the governments and how rotten church government wound up to be. Do you have the vision of the world tomorrow? Do you see where you're headed? What's offered to you? Sometimes we hear that there ain't going to be any government. I had one person tell me one time that there won't be a government in God's, in the world tomorrow. 
And I thought, well, that's not what the Bible says. Look in Revelation chapter 11. What are we looking for? Do we have the vision of what's yet to come? Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was a great voice in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Should solve the problem. We should be able to grasp that there's coming government that is going to be different than what we have today. And there will be a government, and it will, says here, never end. A government that will never end. Man's governments have come up and gone down, come up and gone down, because they're men's governments. What we're looking for is not a democratic government. We're not looking for a monarch government. We're not looking for socialism or communism or whatever isms that are out there. That's not what's coming. Yes, it's going to be a hierarchical government. Government from the top down. Not from the bottom up, like this government is supposedly bottom up. But they lie and cheat and steal and all those things. We're looking at a government that is God, Christ, the bride, and then branching out on however he sets it up at that time. You know, Mr. Waterhouse used to talk about that. He, he refill all those points in. And it was encouraging sometimes because you look for that. But sometimes we don't get that often enough anymore, do we? To look at what's yet to come in the future. There is coming a government. There will be a government in the world tomorrow. Luke chapter 1. That government was told, even here in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And behold, the angel speaking to Mary said, Behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. Is there going to be a government? If you have a kingdom, it requires a king. It requires people. It requires laws and things. And God says, I'm going to bring that to you. Are we looking forward to that time? Not to have a government that we have today that, that really is oppressive on the people. And I don't care what government is, what's coming in the future is not going to be a government of men. It will be of God. And we're told in 1 John, God is love. So it's going to be a government of love. Are we looking for the right type of government? Are we looking in that vision? Is our vision set at a point to think that sometime when that government comes, there's not going to be health problems? God is going to heal. There will not be any health problems. You can write these scriptures down. Uh, Psalms 23, 3. 
In Psalm 103, 3, 107, 20. We're going to have health. We're going to have strength. We're going to have a time when people will not get sick because we go contrary to God. That has to be the vision that we have. We've got to have that vision that, that's so spectacular. We really do. Look up those on health. Look and find as much as you can. Because it's your responsibility to build that vision. You have a responsibility to do that. If you're not searching it and saying, hey, that would be fantastic. I had a grandson call me last, uh, son, daughter called me last night. Young fella, just a little kid. Even though he's ten, he'll never be very big ruptured his uh, appendix. And it hurts. But that's not going to happen in the world tomorrow. We're not going to have, as I have a, a ex-son-in-law of one of my daughters who's dying with cancer. We're not going to have hospitals. You know, we've got to be the, the most healthy nation. We've got the most hospitals in the world. No, we're the sickest nation, aren't we? We're the sickest nation. We have more hospitals than any other country. We sell more drugs than any other country. Or buy more drugs, maybe. We're a sick country. Will not be in the world tomorrow. Can we grasp that as a vision? That there will not be sick people. Because God's going to provide things to heal. He's going to provide things that we're going to live the right way of life. There will not be any hunger. We'll all have our own vine and fig tree, won't we? We'll all have an opportunity to eat. There won't be any starvation where you have tens of thousands of people starving to death. And they don't really broadcast that in this country, but we have a lot of people starving to death in this country. One of the richest nations in the world. Or the richest debtor nation in the world, but we still have people dying, living without homes. Not going to be in the world more. Can we grasp that? That's what we should get. This is the vision that we should get. And then once we get this vision, then we go back and start working on number one. Where am I making my mistakes? Why am I, I ignored so they don't get healed? What am I doing wrong? Why do we have sick people? Why do we have the problems in this country today? What am I doing wrong? We need to get that vision. The vision that says there will not be any more death. Isaiah 25, verse 8. 1 Corinthians 15, 26, and 54 through 58. There's not going to be death anymore. Death and the grave is the last enemy. God says he's going to do away with that. Do we have that vision? Can we grasp that? That there's not going to be any death. Not have to worry about, man, I'm 68. God give me 70 years. i got two years left of my allotted time. If I get any more than that, that's just extra gift, isn't it? Nothing I have to worry about that, are we? Because death and the grave will be done away with. That is the enemy of human beings. And God says, I'm going to do away with That's the last enemy to be done away with. There won't be any sorrow anymore. Everybody's going to be joyous and happy. You know, they have a song in the holy city. And uh, it's really moving, it's really interesting to think about that, but the holy city, 
God's way of life where children are happy and joyous and playing and there's no death there. Don't have to worry about that. No hunger. Those things will all be done away with. You can write down under sorrow. Put down Isaiah 30, verse 19. Go back and read that. 35, 10, 61, verse 3. In Jeremiah 31, 13. And look up all the scriptures you can find. Find out that way of life that's offered to us if we carry our own burden. If we work on ourselves. If we catch that vision that we can do that. Catch that vision. Work on that vision. Let's go to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 22. But you are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable company of angels. This is where we're coming to. Can we grasp that vision right now? That this is where we're coming an innumerable company of angels. How many are there? Well, something that's hard to number. It's hard to number. You don't know. I can't number them because we don't see them. We're coming to that. To Mount Zion. To the city of the living God. That's where we're coming to. Is that our vision? Have we really focused our attention on that? to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. Can we grasp that in our vision? Which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Abel. Abraham. David, the apostles. That's where we're coming. Just men made perfect. They're waiting. They're waiting for us. Remember back here in, in 11, it says, of these, and these all having obtained a good report through faith, verse 39, received not the promise. And God having provided some better thing for us that they, without us, should not be made perfect. They're waiting for us. But we've got to get the vision. We've got to see that all the work that we have to do, and, and you have to work on yourself, it is us that have to look out here and see what idol I've got in my back pocket, what skeletons in my closet, what am I bowing down to? We hear... We need to go back over these things that God's given to us. It was good to hear them one time, but you need to go over and over and over and over and over again because we miss points. We miss some things that we shouldn't miss. So just men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Christ's blood 
speaks better than that of Abel. And Abel was shed because he loved God. He had the vision. Cain didn't have the vision. Cain was jealous. Cain killed Abel. But Abel had the vision. Abel loved Christ. He bore his burden, his faith. He made the change. See that you refuse not him that speaks, for if they escape not which refused him that speaks of, uh, speaks on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. This is Christ speaking to us from heaven. Don't turn away. You have an opportunity to be a part of something so fantastic that all that we have in this life is nothing. Is nothing. You need to get the vision. If you don't, it's going to be hard to make the change.